bestiality is a sin. Whoa. They wouldn't have wrote it down if people weren't doing it. Yeah. Somebody was doing it. We find doing it a boring now, right? We Bo- bestiality? Would, yeah. We would not do that. We find it boring? No, abhorring. Oh, abhorring. <laughs> I was like, you said, what? No. <laughs> Hey, welcome back to Pints and Perspectives, a podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church, where we believe there is a plethora of theological perspectives and plenty of beer to go around. Oh, hey, welcome to Pints and Perspectives, where I'm accused of not having good intros anymore, but ha, what was that? Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Joke is on you. That's correct. But so I I didn't have an intro prepared. And I had your father, I had his voice in my head from this past weekend, uh, calling me out for not having an intro ready. Uh, um, I think he may have done it via text too. So I was sitting right here two seconds before we hit record and I was like, oh shoot, I don't have anything prepared. So I asked chat GPT. Oh, that's what it was. Um, but it didn't give me any good ideas. And for some reason, while I was watching chat GPT work and read, uh, that song by John Denver about West Virginia came into my head. Well, look, this uh, is why content creation is an art, not a science, and that's why ChatGPT isn't helpful. <sighs> oh, it's not helpful? ChatGPT is a science, not an art, man. Bull honky, why did the yeast attend theology school, Cullen? Why did the what? The yeast, you know, the ingredient the beer? in beer? Like the, the, why did the yeast attend theology school, Cullen? Well, it's inanimate, so I didn't. But Why? Did the yeast attend theology school, Cullen? Why? Because it wanted to rise in the ranks of spiritual fermentation. Well, that's just a dumb joke because you could say that fermentation's desire is to rise to the occasion for anything it wants to participate in. So yeast, the inanimate object that wants to participate in something, always rises to the occasion. That's the joke. You just retold the joke. Okay, fine. Shut up. How about this one? Why did the beer connoisseur become a theologian? Because there was nothing else to do. Because they wanted to study the holy trinity of malts, hops, and yeast. Science, not an art. <laughs> ChatGPT is a computer algorithm. Okay, last it is one. A science, not an art. Last one. What did the priest say when he entered the brewery? Oh my God, what? I'm here to save hops and ales. <laughs> I don't get it. Is that like a Catholic joke? And because we're not Catholic, we don't get it. Maybe. Let's see. Hop, hops and ales. Can you explain the second joke? <laughs> Look, if you're not using ChatGPT. Science, not an art. Certainly. Man. In the second joke, joke, there is a play on words between hops and ales and souls. The joke relies on the similarity in pronunciation between hops and ales, which are key ingredients in beer and brewing, and the word souls referring to the spiritual essence or immortal aspect of a person. By saying, I'm here to save the hops and ales, the joke implies that the priest is humorously combining his spiritual mission with the context of a brewery, of course. It's a lighthearted way to imagine the priest playfully focusing on preserving and celebrating the crucial elements of brewing, that is, hops and ales, while still acknowledging his religious role of saving souls. Yes, Welcome I to Pints of Respect. I understand the double entendre. <laughs> My concern is that it's simply not funny because there really is no correlation between hops and ales and the sound of the word soul. Cullen, I don't need you to think that this is funny because I have this. 
true. That's true. But it's supposed to represent people actually laughing, not and you digitally creating. Well, them. look, we it, uh, there's not a technology the, that exists to where we can tune into our audience laughing at my hilarious jokes. Oh, so, sure there is. It's well, called live. Uh, oh, maybe in the future. Okay, I have killed uh, four minutes exactly with this bull honky. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, wait, I get to talk more. You get to I, talk <laughs> more, yeah, because you brought this beer. Which is an aged barley wine. It's been aging since 2018. Uh, Adam has had it. I don't know a ton about it, but Adam has had it before. He speaks very highly of it, and it is at the end of its aging life. So, Adam, would you like to talk to us about aging beer and why a beer will get to the end of its aging life? Uh, Yeah, so basically what happens is to age beer, well... You can do whatever you want because you're a human being and you can have autonomy. You can can have you. Yeah, you want. You can put that Miller Lite in the back of the refrigerator for 10 years, pop it open and drink it. And it will probably just be not good. Yeah, it'll be flat as can be and with like nothing of flavor. Um, But uh, the preferred, the suggested way to age a beer is um, it has to be it has to have a couple of things going on for it uh, for it to be a good candidate to age. First and foremost is alcohol content, uh, the ABV, the uh, alcohol by volume. And this is one of the main reasons Miller Lite would not work. It is too low. It's very low. It's it like in the fours. Low. Yeah, four, like four and a half. 4.8. So any beer like upwards of like real safe, upwards of 10. Yeah. Uh, this beer in particular that we're going to drink today, I think is 12.9. Yeah, it's on the bottle, not the box. Uh, yeah. So um, so you got to be a good candidate for aging. You have to have a really high alcohol content because the aging process that alcohol the the uh, what they call like the heat or the burn on the alcohol uh is going to be reduced it's gonna it's gonna like drop off a cliff uh well gradually but at about five years is when it really starts to like not be uh uh, uh, a tasty experience anymore it just starts to break down um it also has to have a pretty fair measure of um some sort uh, like a malt or uh, it has to have something for that alcohol to be interacting with and maturing in there too. So um, part of the reason this works is because when you create beer, um, you have to ferment it, right? And you ferment it with yeast. Well, once you have yeast is what I meant to say, not malt. Sorry. Yeah. Once it's went through its time fermenting with the yeast, then you can do primary fermentation and secondary fermentation. And they're, that changes some things. But once you move through those fermentation uh, points and you start to bottle it, yeah, you then have to carbonate it. Right. And one of the most common ways to do it, and this is another key well, thing about aging beer, is one of the most common ways to do it is add sugar. Right. Alcohol eats sugar. That's so the beca- Yeah. Because you add sugar back to it and you age it, what's actually happening is a long, continual continued fermentation of that alcohol eating that right. remaining sugar in the carbonation. It's going to eat that's it. That's why if you outrun its aging life, it go. becomes flat. Yeah. And like, it, it doesn't have an alcohol taste anymore. Right. It might just taste like syrup. Honestly, it, it, yeah. depending on the beer, it'll end up tasting a lot like molasses, molasses. Um, so for example, this beer, and I'm going to get into the, what this beer is. This might be a little bit of a long episode because I'm going to talk for a minute about this beer because it, okay. it's, it's, it's storied. Um, so this, uh, bad boy is using, uh, the, uh, it's yeast is British ale yeast. Okay. Um, 
And where, where's this? Who brewed this and where's it from? Yeah, so let's talk about it. So this is from Firestone Walker Brewing Company. Uh, they are in California. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't know the exact city. I have been to their brewery. Um, they have three or four locations in California. I've been to the one in L.A. Um, and, you know, I should have looked that up. Where are their locations? But um, they're they're in they're in California, uh, in the L.A. area, I think. Um and they started distributing to the Houston, to Texas, but to the Houston area, like back in 2014, 2015, somewhere around there in the timeline. Um, uh, it's, it's Walker uh, is after one of the brewers. Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. Uh, look, if you turn the box around, it'll uh, all three founders are there, and one of them's name is Walker. Oh, one of them's Adam is, Firestone and David Walker. Yeah, and then and there's then a third Matt- guy. Something. Brenoldson. And I guess he didn't get his name in the title because it's too hard to say. Maybe he didn't have enough money. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. He got enough money to have his signature on the box. That's true. But uh, his name is in the title. Anyway, so they came to Houston. I got introduced to it through a friend. Um, I ended up going to Pasadena, California a couple times in 2018. And so I got to go to the brewery and I went to the cellar of the brewery, like the, the, the locker, the, like the, where they were aging beer. Oh, nice. Right? Okay. okay. Uh, and so you can walk in there and you can purchase every varietal of Firestone Walker that they have because it's all brewed right there. Um, and so I tasted some stuff. I had some really, really cool stuff, but I grabbed three of these Sukabas. So the fire, look, let me just read this well, box. Real quick. So I do sure. have a question on the box. You have it, it. They're treating it a lot like wine. They're it giving is. it vintage. It's and, supposed to be aged. They're aging it. And so it has a number on it. Yep. Number seven. Is that the bottle number or the yes. batch number? Oh, no, batch, 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 batch. Okay. Pretty sure. Look, I think it is printed. Nope, that is the bottle number. Okay. And this so is bottle number seven of whatever. Of how many? Well, I don't know. That's a it good question. It doesn't say on there. It's not like seven of whatever written on It does on not. There. It okay. does not. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I bought three of them. So I've. this is okay. my last one. Let me see. Um, so this is a barley wine, which is my favorite beer style, and it is meant to be aged. So they barrel aged this beer at the brewery before bottling. Let me read this um, this little uh, run through here on the back of the box. Our brewery began in 1996 when we delved into the rare art of fermenting beer in oak barrels. Ten years later, that'd be 2006, uh, we took our barrel machinations to the next level by aging beer and vessels inherited from bourbon houses and other spirits producers. Ever since the resulting beers have flown under the banner of the proprietors vintage series. And that is here on all the labeling of this Firestone Walker makes like IPAs, lagers, all all sorts of like normal beers, but they also do a ton of this like aging stuff. So anyways, uh, proprietors vintage series, which has become one of the most extensive barrel aging programs in the craft industry. It's it's true. That's why I went there. That's why I went to the aging. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Okay. After taking a year off, Sukaba returns for a curtain call in 2018. So let me tell you something. The reason why I bought this bottle, three of these bottles is because I had had the Sukaba in like 14, 2014 when they first came to Houston. Okay. Um, 14, 15 then i had a sukaba the next year because it was a limited release very limited Mm. release uh very difficult to get and so then they announced uh that there would be no 2017 sukaba oh so it wasn't like not in california not anywhere not nothing they just weren't gonna run it i happened to be in california in 2018 and they had released 
a farewell version of the beer. Oh, so this is like it. They're, this label's never coming back. This right. It's done. So they said, hey, we're going to take 2017 off. And then they wrote this. After taking a year off, Sukaba returns for a curtain call in 2018. As always, this last vintage delivers big, boozy bourbon and American oak aromas combined with the soft chocolate malt undertones. Complex malt flavors are framed in oak with hints of dark chocolate, vanilla, toasted coconut, and a touch of dark cherry. And I've had this beer fresh. I've had this beer at about two years. I've had it at about three years. I've had it at four years. I'm about to have it at five years. And those notes are true uh, from previous experience. Sukaba is a one-of-a-kind sipping experience. It is a beer built to last and one that will reward careful cellaring for years to come. You're welcome. I did that. <laughs> we highly recommend counting the years with an abacus. <laughs> okay. uh, seller in a cool, dark place between. Yeah, and I did that. Okay, um, so here's the deal. So I thought that when I brought this beer over to this house and put it in the fridge, I was like, man, this is going to be my last Sukaba, like forever. Like, I'm never yeah. going to, like, Sukaba's over with. Yeah. Uh, until I sat down in this chair and looked up Sukaba and, and they, they brought have, it back in 2022. They brought it back in 2022. It is extremely highly rated, but here's the deal. You can't get it yeah, <laughs> because you have to join. It's behind a paywall, a oh. subscription wall. Now. You have to join the Firestone Walker Brewmasters collective membership, which they're doing. Uh, so Firestone Walker has some other really cool freaking aged beers. Like there was one that they did, uh, on um on roasted pumpkin rind and it tasted kind of uh, like the pumpkinator but but was <gasps> don't you no, dare yeah oh the, put the pumpkinator to shame shame uh if if we're if we're ever in california i'll try to find it. i'm telling you and i don't have any more of that because i drank it all because it was too stinking good <sighs> um I have friends who can confirm my... Anyways, so uh, to get this beer now in 2022, you have to join a their monthly club. monthly membership club. A membership club. And they do... They, What's it cost? Let's see how bougie they think they are. Ooh, that's a good question. I don't know. I haven't even looked into it. Club website. Yeah, let's see how bougie these people think they are. So, I don't know. Maybe it's just a subscription. Thank you. Oh, there we go. No, membership. Oh, no, no, no. Dude, look, privileges, $2,500 a year. That's not so bad. And you get 25 beers a year. Uh, and, one, and you would get the annual Sukaba. And you get a welcome gift and a birthday gift, apparently. On-site collection, tastings, private member-only events, access to library-exclusive beers. Seems like you'd really need to live in California. Definitely. You would need to be in be, person for yeah, this to, for to this pay to off. to be advantageous. Uh, and, but also because uh, they can ship to certain states, but it's free to pick but up. But you miss out on all the event privileges. Yeah, all the events, yeah. The, yeah. So um, you're welcome uh, because I just yesterday bought their celebration, their annual celebration beer. Uh, which is also supposed to be aged, and I've got a cellaring now. Um, so yeah. Anyways, I'm a big fan of Firestone Walker. We should try their other beers on the on the podcast. Well, um, pour it, man. Yeah, let's do this. Mm-mm-mm. Mm-mm-mm. Cheers, cheers, friends. Oh my gosh! Smell, smell. Give it a sniff. Ah. Break my glass. Smell oh it. What do you smell? What do you smell? Malty, boozy, caramel, roasted. Cherry. Yeah, cherry. I got some toffee. 
It's very dark. Uh, uh, on 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 younger ones, there's like tobacco notes. Put it in the glass. Sorry, 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 sorry. You'll smell it better in the glass, anyways. It's just you know, it's an experience. Look, if you're not following us, uh, if you're not consuming this podcast on YouTube, I would highly suggest you go do it that right now. It is the superior uh, viewing experience. Also, like, subscribe, and share. Tell others about Always, this. Always, please, please, please. Look, look at the head. Yeah, so I was going to say, this is how you know that you're, like, getting at the end of the aging, but you ha- you're not there yet because the carbonation is still there and it still heads. Honestly, this beer may have been able to go seven years. Maybe, but that's also because it's like 12 and a half percent. 12 and a half, baby. And it's original gravity. Let me. Uh, yeah, here, right here. Original yeah. gravity. What was it? Was 26. Yeah. Um, yeah, it probably could have went 31, one more year. 31 IBUs. Yeah, so, so I did see 31 IBUs, which kind of surprises me. That's pretty high for. It's meant for, uh, it's meant for aging. It's meant for aging. So because your yeah. hops, your hops over time is going to fall off too. The edge well, is they mellow. Off. Right. They, they, everything. Out. Yeah. Mellow may not be the best word, but like blend and oh, meld. Yeah, meld. They kind of meld together, all these flavors. And the bitterness of the hops is one of the things that kind of goes first. All right. I've got some I've got some dogfish head one twenties that have been well, aging for about yeah. three years. Yeah. I I you know, I've never had a five year, but uh, oh yeah, actually I think I have a five year at home of the one twenty. We should do a side by side. Okay. We should buy a new... Anyway, sorry. Okay, back to this beer. Okay. You want to taste it yet, or you want to talk about the nose? No. Here we go. Mmm. Man. Cherry, plum, roasted flavors. I get the tobacco. Yep, deep tobacco flavor. The hops is still there. It, yeah, it's a little bitter. There's a little bit of a, um, a bite, a little bit of a dark. Like uh, I describe it as dark, but like a like a bite. Yep. Sorry about the noises in the background. Um, uh, it's not as sweet as I thought it would be. Interesting. I actually find it quite sweet for oh, having been aged for five years. Don't get me wrong. It is. Uh, yeah, but that's what makes. Remember what I was talking about. That's what makes a great aging eligible beer is it needs sugar the alcohol has to continue to interact with that sugar to kind of level everything out and make the aging process worthwhile otherwise it'll just eat all the carbonation and become flat um but there's still quite a bit of sugar in this still quite a bit of sugar the the um it's got a lot of bitter in it it does have more than i thought it would be I can't really remember my previous um, experiences with Sukaba, um, but definitely getting the chocolate, definitely well, getting the vanilla, the cherry. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The yep. to- little bit of toffee. I get a little tobacco. Carbonation is still solid. Um, There's a pretty great like. Oh yeah, carbonation is rock solid. Look how look how dark and thick it I is. I mean, look, just rotating it. Yeah, so I, that's the other thing I was going to say. Viscosity, fantastic. Yeah. Or like coats your mouth. Um, it's beautiful. I get like a char flavor. Yeah, I guess that's what it is. It's a little bit charred. It. I think you're calling it tobacco, which I get Maybe why you that's would what do, it but is. I think it, it's like a char flavor. I think like that's it. Like a burnt it. wood flavor. So, look, okay, so the description the, the that they give uh, for this is... 
<clears throat> and I'm on Untapped. Uh, so this is from the brewer, but it's as uh, it's on the Untapped. It's on the Untapped page. description. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so it's for the tw- 2018. Yeah. Confoundingly unpronounceable yet eminently drinkable. It does that not perfectly describe this conversation? Yeah, it's hard to confoundingly it's hard unpronounceable. To, yeah. It's hard to. Uh, put a finger on all the things I'm tasting. Welcome to Sukaba, an epic barrel-aged English barley wine whose original name was undone by a two-bit legal challenge. Okay. Big boozy bourbon and American oak aromas. That's the thing, too. I get a little bourbon, but I get way I more get oak. I get yeah. way more oak. Well, that's the that's part of the char flavor I'm talking about. I guess There's so. There's definitely a lot of oak there. Complex malt flavors... So Kaba's built to last. Oh, yeah, I think I already Well, you know, the thing that I think is really interesting is lots of times when you get that flavor, it it, it will come paired with like a, a um, like a smoke flavor. Oh, yeah, definitely. It, and it can... This doesn't have that. Well, it can very easily become overpowering when you get that. Definitely. It can, you know, like think about like, um, like really heavy peated scotch. Yeah. And it's just like overwhelmingly like smoky flavor. Beer can sometimes get that way too with this char flavor and these dark roasted notes, like really high Lovabon grains, which, you know, like 800 and up gets you to like this really dark brown, almost black yeah. color. Um, when you start doing that, you can really pump that smoke flavor up and it's not overpowering here. I get it very hint not and it's, it, it's the lingering flavor, yep. which I really appreciate. Because I don't want that like pungent cherry flavor to be what hangs around. I'm not drinking a sour, right? Right. Like, I, I want that roasted, punchy flavor that that you get a beer like this for. Yeah, I think it's superb. Yeah, it, it, it's. Um, I was looking at the rest of the notes on the bottle. Uh, so you know how in Texas, Texas beers always have like the little slogan on it. Um, what is it? Taste Texas, or what's the little? Uh, Oh, recycled damage? Or isn't there well, like a... Yeah, well, they all do something different, but Anyways, yeah. this one says beer before glory. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's nice. Carbach was Paso the first... Robles. They're in Paso Robles, California. Oh, there you go. Carbach was the first people to put recycled damage on their Oh, maybe that's what I was that... thinking about. Okay, you want to rate it or what? Uh, Yeah, let's hear yours. Because you've had many of them, so I'm interested to see how you rate it. I think I like this better a little younger. Okay. Um, I've also had it on tap at the brewery, oh. <laughs> so I think it's not fair. Well, but, look, but I'm gonna beer give on it, tap's just better. Yeah, there's no way around it. Um, I think I'm going to give it a. I've had better aged barley wines. I'm sorry, I, I, I'm a little spoiled, so I'm gonna give it an eight point five. Okay. It's good. It's very good. And I'm glad I put it in the cellar for five years. I was at 8.4. There you go. So, yeah. look, we, yeah, I guess we've drank enough beer together. Yeah. We, we kind of, well, also, we I've think had, similarly. I've had better beers from Firestone Walker. That's the other thing. They have, they have a ton of, of, of different beers. Um, they just don't put them all in Texas. So, okay. There you go. It's, uh, it's rating on uh, Untapped. Do you want to know? Oh yeah, what is it? So it's their scale is only out of five, yeah. so it's a four point three. Well, we gave it percentage wise per capita pretty damn close. About the exact same. So. There you go. All right, there you go. Good beer day. Good beer day. Good beer day. Good I guess that's day. by design when you take the time to age wait, 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 five Cullen. That's a beer beer. That's a beer beer. <laughs>
Again, you got to go to YouTube. All right, let's talk theology or whatever. Well, I think, you know, we we apologize for missing a week, first of all. I don't. You can deal with it. <laughs> Normally, in this friendship, I'm the <laughs> and he's the nice guy. I don't know what happened today that we flipped roles. <sighs> but we apologize for missing a week. We um, yeah. I was sick. Adam was around, but kind of sick, but not really. And I had all just, sorts of things going on in my it life. It just turned into a whole thing, and we had to miss a week. So yep. we apologize for that. Multiple birthdays. Yep. Had we not missed a week, we probably would have done this in two episodes since we missed a week. And actually, as soon as this episode's done filming, we are having our good friend, Ben Blackwell, uh, our professor and uh, mentor from HBU. He will be here to film a couple of episodes. Um, He's going to see if Cullen's a heretic. Yeah. So if you watched, if you've been around the show for a while, in January, we did an episode where we went through the Nicene Creed to see if Adam was a heretic. And definitively, yes. Oh, Adam's definitely a heretic. <laughs> By uh, traditional Orthodox standards, Adam is a heretic. Um, I argue that by traditional Orthodox standards, I'm not. But after our series on the problem of evil, Adam was like, definitely you are. You are definitely a heretic. So we're, we're bringing, bringing in the big guns. We're bringing in an come, actual theologian. We're bringing in an actual theologian to tell us if I'm a heretic. So tune into the next episode. Um, but so we're going to do this episode in one, which I guess means it's a wrap up and a conversation about Jesus's thoughts on sex. Yeah. Okay. Um, we could possibly reach into Paul's thoughts a little bit because I do think Paul kind of changes slash adapts Jesus's teachings on sex and sexuality they are a little different hmm. Paul adds some things to the table that Jesus doesn't actually say um, and might have mind you Jesus is living you know he's crucified roughly around 29 BC um Paul's first letter, we believe, is 1 Thessalonians, and the earliest anybody will put it is the year 51. Um, some of Paul's letters, like Romans, people are pushing that out to, like, 68. Yeah. Um, and so that might not mean anything to a lot of us, except that that means Paul's writing this stuff down 30 years after Jesus has been dead. Sure. And so, as we all know, lots of stuff can get lost in translation and those kinds of things, and 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 people's thoughts can evolve, uh, right? Paul's yeah. a church leader trying to fight against similar problems, if not the same problems that Jesus is trying to fight against, and so they kind of meld and adapt and and move along. Um, but maybe the first thing that we should talk about is why the ancient world seems so concerned with sex. Okay, and, and maybe that's the question. Did the ancient world seem concerned with sex, Adam? Well, see, here's the thing. My view of the ancient world in my many years of education and research was always through the lens of evangelical, at least Western Christianity. Uh, and so... I think through all throughout my entire academic career, I would say that it seems that yes, like the ancient world was definitely concerned with sexuality. I, Very know, much so. Yeah, yeah. And so, but I would say in a negative way back then. 
Well, okay, so that's the question. Is right. it negative? Right. Because we're looking at it from a modern context reading back to it? Yeah. Or is it negative or is it positive when we look at the context they lived in and what it was designed to fight against? Yeah. Because you, you have to remember that society's evolving. Or right? like maybe like both. Humanity doesn't stand still. Sure. It always progresses, right? Uh, right. There's a reason that you have a cell phone in your pocket and Jesus didn't. There's a reason that you Because of the devil. Because of the Antichrist regime. There's a reason that you have the ability to look at 100-story buildings and the ancient world didn't. Right. Um, there are... Technology, man. Ways Technology. that innovation and evolution of humanity impact all of these things. And so I think we should keep that in mind as we have this conversation because what I would argue is that the Bible in the ancient world is extremely concerned with sex because, number one, the ancient world recognizes that it's God's first command to humanity to be fruitful and multiply. Okay. But what it does, and you actually brought this up in one of our episodes, is that, like, the concept of sex for pleasure rather yeah. than procreation in the ancient world, it wasn't necessarily looked down upon, like, in a sinful way, but it was certainly looked down upon in a you're playing with fire kind of way. Like it's, like it's risky. Yeah, yeah. It's really risky because what... What they don't want, I think the ancient world makes this very clear, and I think the, the Old Testament and the New Testament explicitly say this in their own unique ways. In the ancient world, everybody got married mm. for lots of reasons, right? Mm -hmm. Part of it's just societal. I guess my question is, which ancient world are we talking about? We're talking about the ancient world of like the New Testament or the ancient world of Let's the Old Testament? start in the Old Testament. Okay. Let's start in the Old Testament. Because, like, that statement wouldn't be true in the, like, Bronze Age, right? Why? Well, I mean, like, that everybody got married? Sure, women are property. Yeah, okay, that's fair. But, like, poly polygamy, but, but marriage would have been defined differently. Marriage would have been defined very differently. Right, more transactional. But it would have been more transactional, but this concept of this union between two people in some kind of divine view mm, for it to be sacred for it to be sacred um, was very important and everybody did it. Well, also because sex was used as like an access, like, like I think of, um, okay, I'm having to go back into the recesses, right? So like, um, like temple prostitution in the Asherah cult, Mm -hmm. Or uh, like the the well, the the Baal the Baal yep, system. Baal, yep. So like sex was sacred in that way too. Well, but you have to remember those are pagan concepts coming in. Yeah. Well, I'm talking about the ancient world. We are, and we're gonna yeah. So specifically, I guess when we talk about the ancient world, we should talk about it. Yeah, this is a good point. We should talk about it in twofold: what the Israelites are saying and what the rest of the world's saying. Yeah, because that's because that's because the, the that's, ancient world. That's the nationalistic bent we like to take. Well, part of it is the ancient world context that the ancient Israelites lived in mm -hmm. was very sex positive and very much so. If you want them, take them. Well, but um, also like sex positive for men. Right. Women were property tools. Property. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, not tools. Property. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's why they owned. 
wives and concubines, mm-hmm. which are basically just sex slaves. Right. Um, so when you, when you start to put this together, what happens is the Israelites look around and go, Hey, sex is this great thing, but marriage is really sacred and sex for pleasure puts risk on marriages. Wasn't that, that's why the whole adultery conversation comes in because look, but, but that, 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 that has to occur like in the timeline of things that has to occur later. Like I, I, I know Augustine is talking about this. What do you mean? Leviticus 18, the, everybody remembers Leviticus 18, 22, that a man should not lay with another man for it's an abomination, but everybody forgets 18, one through 21, which is, which is all about adultery, incestual adultery. So you sleeping would with say your grandfather sleeping with your stepdad, sleeping with your sister. Okay. Oh, wait, 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 wait. So you are making the argument that the, mm, the, Post-exilic Hebrew community. Well, Leviticus is not post-exile. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Right, Leviticus. You're saying Leviticus. The pre-exilic. Yeah. You're saying that the pre-exilic Hebrew community believed in monogamous marriage? Bull honky. No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is Leviticus 18 is a chapter dedicated to a sexual ethic of which 95% of it is dedicated to the conversation. Don't sleep with people who are married to other people and especially not your family. Yeah. Okay. Now, the other thing I will say is, and this is shout out to Kev, my dad. Yo, Kev. He reminds me of this all the time. They wouldn't have felt the need to write it down if people weren't doing it. Yeah. No, that's fair. So in the same way that they're writing down, people shouldn't. Bone animals, <laughs> bestiality is a sin. Whoa! They wouldn't have wrote it down if people weren't doing it. Yeah, somebody was. Doing, we find doing it a boring now, right? We Bo- bestiality. Would, yeah, we would not do that. We find it boring. No, abhorring. Oh, abhorring. <laughs> <laughs> no, and so we would never do that. And so, you ever heard somebody preach on don't screw animals? You know, I did pastor in the country for a while. You never preach that. <laughs> There's no way they no. would have run you out of there. No, never had a bestiality sermon. Sorry. See, because it's not relevant to our context. Um, but you also know something that I hear all the time. Gays are going to hell. Well, we'll get there. <laughs> no, what I was going to say is every time I look up a statistic about like porn searches and like the results yeah. from one of these studies. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's always one of the top five searches family stepmoms. Yeah. Moms. Yeah. The Bible seems real concerned. Don't yeah. do that. Yeah. You know why? Cause you end up, how do you get a mother in the ancient world? She's married to your fucking father. Right. Adultery. If you sleep with your mother it is adultery. Yeah. So don't. So, okay. The ancient Israelite Hebrew sexual ethic is concerned with sexuality within the board, the parameters, the boundaries of like, don't have sex with your family members uh, and don't rape, don't rape and primarily don't have sex with other married people. Mm -hmm. Okay. But you can have 13 wives, right? They just all have to be legally contractually bound to you. Right. And so the other thing I will say is, what we need to understand is the Old Testament Israelites, they have 
a strange relationship with sex because it's like, okay, God said, yeah, this is good and it feels good and all these things, but it's also sex for pleasure is a temptation into a world of sins. But isn't that a Pauline concept? Like, is that an ancient Israelite concept? What, what did we always say that sexual suppression can lead to rape? Definitely. Is that a Pauline concept that that is an, a, a bad sex thing that rape is, uh, is that uniquely Pauline that we shouldn't do that? No, of course not. No, of course not. Of course not. So there's always a negative sexual impact sure. from, from our sexual desires. And, and that's really what the ancient world is fighting against. The, yeah. Their concern is not necessarily with the sex. It's, it's the getting that's the sex getting out of hand and doing things that are actually harmful to people. Yeah. So again, we are back to the same old storyline, power dynamics. And so this brings us to Jesus, uh-huh. right? So when, well, Jesus, wait, I think you're skipping a okay, one ahead. thing. So the, uh, this is shout out to uh, 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 Dr. Dennis Tucker. So one of the things he helped me understand in the timeline of Israel is the post-exilic, earlier I was talking about the pre-exilic uh, Israelites, the uh, Hebrew people, the post-exilic Jews at this point. Um, they are called Jews after the exile from Babylon. That's how it works. They, um, this is also where the, like the post-exilic community uh, does start to put an emphasis on... Um, Monogamy, monogamous marriage, man. And this is where you start to see couples. Well, it's where the concept begins to make its way into the culture because by the time we get to Jesus, what does marriage look like? One man and one One woman. Well, really by the time you get to Paul, you don't think it was that way in the first century? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean the, the 10, yeah, first century CE, um, it was going that direction, I think. It's in the definitely culture. going that direction. And part of it is because what happens is you've got guys like David who have 300 wives and 700 concubines. Yeah, that's a great point. So I guess it really, I guess it really takes hold after uh, the Greek and the Roman. Because like taxation had something to do with it, like in the Roman culture. I should have read a book about this before I came onto this podcast. Yeah, well, I did. Oh, look at you. It's called Holy Misogyny by uh, April DeConnick, a professor at Rice University. Um, Hood Owls? What's their thing? Hood uh, Away. How, owls. Yeah. Owls for life. Hood Owls. Oh, whatever. Um, anyways. I don't um, know where we were going with I all think, that. Jesus. We were getting to Jesus. Well, we were going to get to Jesus, but you've brought some things up. It, uh, I would love to have this conversation with Dr. Tucker because... One thing that I find interesting is the post-exilic definitely changes things about marriage. Yeah. But it's certainly not like a a, 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 a ripping off of what was yeah. and a replacing of what becomes the New Testament. Because sure. you have to think about Ezra. Mm-hmm. And the book of Ezra, he commands mass divorce oh, yeah. of any Israelite married yeah. to a foreign woman. That's right. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the xenophobia was uh, on point. That <laughs> the racism was real. I argue that that is the Bible's contradiction of itself. Oh, you say the Bible contradicts itself? Oh my God! Paige Countless Patterson. Times. Paige Countless Patterson times. is is uh, starting a committee right now. Well, Paige to Patterson investigate kiss you. my ass. My, uh, mine too. Anyways, sorry. No, what when he commands a hundred and I think it's one hundred and twenty-six. Don't quote me on the number. I'll, I'll probably flash something on the screen. Uh, one hundred and twenty-six um, 
foreign women to be divorced oh, yeah. from their husbands. Do you know what that means in the ancient world, Adam? They are now prostitutes or uh, they become slaves or they die in a gutter uh, from hunger and disease. Or because they may have just had a child, they could become a wet nurse. Oh, a wet nurse. Oh, or I think in certain cultures, like in certain times, they could go back to their daddy's house, maybe. Well, only if he would receive them. Right. Um, and, and that's why... Poor women. When we get to Jesus, and that's why I bring this up, when we get to Jesus, the status quo seems to be issued by Moses, yeah. pre-exilic. Yeah, divorce. Oh, yeah. Uh, the point. divorce could be permissible... As, and Moses' requirement was not that it was like divinely instituted that you had to get divorced, but that if you were going to, mm-hmm. the man had to issue the woman oh, yeah. a decree of a certificate of divorce. Right. So that she could have some legal status and not be a pauper. Right. Right, yeah. so that she might be able to get remarried again, right. so that her daddy might take her back as not being completely dishonorable. Right. Um, but at the same time, by the time you get to Jesus, the way the beloved Dr. David Capes says it. What up, Dave? And <laughs> the reason I bring him up is because he's one of the most like well-respected scholars that also happens to be a conservative that I know. Is he a conservative? I mean, he was David? the academic dean at I know, Wheaton. I, know. I don't know how much more conservative you can get. I know. He probably doesn't like gays. Do you? Comment below if you're no, watching. I think he likes gays. I just don't think he would be affirming. He just gays. doesn't think that they are real, you know, full legal human beings. He just, likes them. He just doesn't think they should have all I mean, the rights. We shouldn't that be spouting off have. his views. Yeah, <laughs> David, if you want to come on to this podcast, you're welcome any day. Uh, for sure, for sure. He used to host a great radio show with a rabbi and himself, a Baptist minister, and a Catholic priest. It was cool. It's called About Faith. Oh, um, but what what? Dr. Capes used to always tell me is by the time you get to Jesus, Israelite men are divorcing women for superfluous things like burning their dinner. Yeah. Like it's like you were literally property at that point and 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 an angry response was you're out of here. And so that's why when Jesus jumps on the scene and the Pharisees come and ask him, hey, what what about divorce? Yeah. Do you remember what he says? Uh, no. I mean, I think I do, but go ahead. Don't do it. Moses permitted it because of your stubbornness, not because God authored it. What man has joined to what God has joined together, let, let no, no man, man tear separate. apart. Yep, yep, yep. It's yep. not until we get to Paul that you get the infidelity clause. Oh, so Jesus. Really, you only get that in one of the Gospels, okay. and it's a later one. Okay. And so okay. the earliest Gospels don't have that. Jesus, Jesus' earliest statements on this don't seem to be that. They seem to be that your stubbornness of heart, you men, are why you want to get divorced. Look, look, okay. This is why the Bible cannot be the uh, ultimate authority on all things in your 21st century life. Yeah. Because that, look, I love Jesus. I like Jesus. I'm with him on 90% of what he says. Maybe 100%. I don't know. I guess I am a heretic, so not 100%. But not 100%. If that, like, it has, the, the question is definitely more nuanced than don't get divorced. 
Yeah. So a blanket statement of don't do it, uh, even if that's the only thing that Jesus ever said, this is why the scripture has to be taken in conjunction with just like real life practicality. Because if I am beating my wife every night, she should have a right to leave me. But it, see, in an ancient world, she didn't. Only a man could saying. issue a certificate of divorce. That's what I'm saying. But she was property. Right. And this is the thing we need to understand is this is the other reason that I think premarital sex was prohibited is because she's her father's property until she's bought by right. her husband. Right. And when she's bought by her husband, he doesn't want yeah. damaged goods. Her market for lack value. Of a better word. It's yeah. all about her market value. Yeah. And this is where the concept of purity comes in. Right. Because um, it's about. Well, and this is also why they got married so young. Right. Do you know what the legal age for a man, for a boy to be married at was? Like the earliest he could get a wife? 13? Nine. He didn't See, have to become a man. He didn't have to go through his bar mitzvah. This is why. Do you know what a woman's was? Something scary. Three. What culture is this? In? This is ancient Egypt. This, I mean, this is ancient Israel. Look, man, that's, we would call that pedophilia now. That's exactly what we would call it. Right. And unanimously, if you were a man, you had to be married by 20. Well, like, yeah, a lot of people think Mary was 13, right? When she was impregnated by God. It would be problematic. 13, 14 would be about her wedding age. I guess she was an adult at that point. Nope. See, she every, hadn't been through her by mitzvah either. There you go. This is why the Bible cannot be taken as the only authority on how we construct our lives, our families, our ethics, our, our policy positions, because the Bible isn't fully informed. And it has a very narrow response to some of these issues that have very complex uh, realities. Correct. Now, what we should say is let's talk about what it is adequately informed about and what okay. truths it's trying to communicate in the ways that it does. Perfect. Women are the ones that get harmed in that. That's correct. The Bible is doing a lot to try to that protect is. women in these really, really bad contracts. Yeah, Old Testament and New. Old Testament Man, and New. Everywhere. The yeah, Bible that's right. seems to be very concerned with widowhood. Yep. The Bible seems to be very concerned with women and children. The Bible yep. seems to be very concerned with those that are harmed for things that they can't control. When you read Hagar's story, who like Hagar is a woman who has like less than no status. Like her status level, she's not only property. Well, and she's also a foreshadowing. Well, she's an Egyptian. But what I'm saying is like at her status in that power dynamic, yeah. in that family was like she's a foreigner. She's not the wife. She's the she's the concubine. Yeah. She she like in every way has no human status. But when you read the scriptures and you read that story of her, she's the victim in well, many ways. Read Genesis 38 and the story of Judah and Tamar. And I was okay. Oh, you're getting ahead of me. Oh, uh, go, ahead, go off King. Ta Tamar is the same thing. Well, my, my point is like you have these examples throughout the old Testament and the new Testament of women whose status, well, the scriptures kind of, uh, overturn the apple cart of cultural expectations as it in regards to human or uh, female status um ruth um i mean anyways we can go down the list they're they're all over the old testament and yeah. jesus then does it again and again and again um so what is the scripture uh, uh concerned with yeah the status of women and the then status and protection of women and protection of women yeah um and and 
you know, I I might even say that that goes on. And if we are going to reach into Paul a little bit to try to pull a little bit from this, yeah. Um, I argue the Ephesians five. Now, I, depending on what day I wake up, I don't believe Paul wrote it. Today, I happen to believe he did. Um, tomorrow, you, let's ask Chat GPT what gospel, what books did Paul write? No, go ahead. I was fixing to say this: an art, not a science. Um, but Ephesians five. When I read that, that Christian household code there, yeah, it sets a new standard for marriage and the position of women. Yeah, which we did an episode on this recently. Yeah. So all, all of this to say, the ancient world is dealing with all kinds of sexual things that we can't even begin to possibly imagine. I mean, Adam... In 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 a in an information age, yes. Have you ever heard some shit happen in modern world like we read in Genesis nineteen with Sodom and Gomorrah, where an entire the men of an entire town show up to rape two men guests? There are stories out of India uh, and certain African but no, no. countries. In our Western modernized world, the no. one we're talking about, this sex context. Well, I mean, gang rape is a thing, but a whole like city, but a whole town, no. Only because they were foreigners and hadn't been had yet? No, we don't have that. The ancient world is dealing with sexual things that we can't imagine. I mean... I don't it, know, dude. I feel like this still happens. It might still happen, but you know what I don't think happens a whole lot? Fucking goats. The, the, the Russians... Like, the, the Russian atrocities in uh, Mariupol and... Uh, what, what? Bucha. Bucha? Like, they raped everybody. Like all the women, they raped them all. Okay, but that's not sodomizing men. two men that come into your city as guests. Okay, yeah, that's that pillaging and war crimes. Yeah, true. Okay, all right, all right. Sorry, fun thought experiment. Our, our <laughs> world doesn't think about sex and isn't dealing with the same problems that the ancient world was. Um, we're dealing with different kind of problems. And there's still boundaries. There's still an ethic to have with sex. Nobody's saying that you should just go, you know, have sex with anybody that'll let you in or anything that'll let you in. The Bible's certainly not okay with that. But I also don't think that... Anything that will let you in. <laughs> Sorry. Well, that, yeah. That's how I explain my high school years sometimes. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's what God has in mind for a 21st century Christian. What do you think God has in mind for the 21st century Christian? Well, I certainly don't think it's a 20-year-old man buying a 3-year-old girl as his wife. Most definitely no. I've I've worked but you know what? I've the worked Bible, a decade to fight against that. But you know what? The Bible would say that's okay. This is why the Bible Can't cannot be, be our used. Only <laughs> right. right. Yeah. I think what the Bible says is that in sexual experiences, people must be protected. Um, in sexual experiences, people cannot be harmed. Yeah. In sexual experiences, they cannot be long-term damaging to an individual. You know what the Bible does not say that I wish it would? It does, or uh, discuss consent. The sure it does. The, no, the ancient world was not concerned with female consent. You need to go read the Judah and Tamar story again. Okay, okay. What okay. is Judah's repentance? Generally, she did not have consent and he did not do right by her. Okay, that's a good point. Uh, but what about every other woman in the Old Testament and new? Bathsheba 
Have you not read that story? But his sin was... Raping her! Uh, sleeping with another man's wife. Raping her! Okay. From the minute she is seen... You should go read this story, listener. From the minute, listener. She, from the minute he sees her from the top of his He's already committed castle. adultery in nope. his heart. She is actively bathing. The verbs used for her are active. From the minute you see her again after she's bathing, when David says to his goons, go get her, she's never communicated with an active verb again. Everything is done passively to her. Yeah. And then he's wronged. Nathan comes to him and says, you're the man. No, I I will push back on that. He's the man who did what, though? Stole one goat from one man who had, when he had a hundred goats. That's what Nathan's proverbial prophecy to him is yeah, so and david says i'll kill the man that stole the one and nathan says you're him. you're the man and no i would argue that the bible absolutely makes but isn't that all about like an economic like scenario like like even the analogy is no, like it's about fidelity hmm. you can't just because they pay for a woman doesn't mean their only contribution is economic and certainly not when a prophet of god comes poor you right a prophet of god comes and says hey that's sacred and yeah. you took it yeah yeah. It wasn't yours to take. You think you took it. And you know what the penalty was according to the scriptures? The loss of his son. Yeah, yeah. God killed a baby. Mm-hmm. God killed a baby. Yeah, God kills lots of babies. So true. um this whole, yeah, anyways, pro life agenda. Can well, kick a rock. Yeah. Heard. What now? So <laughs> I, I think my point is if you're looking for the Bible to have all your answers about sex, it ain't you, you oh, it might. Well, okay, but you're going to get a really, fair. really distorted view of sex <laughs> Good. that becomes illegal in, in in America. If you try to treat your sex life the way that the Bible tells you to, it'll be illegal because you're going to try to buy a five-year-old girl. Well, you know. it. We, we've got to stop this nonsense. The, what, the what Bible not, what, has all the answers when it comes to anything and every topic that we want to come up with. Or that we should regress to a previous, uh, older way. Because of, the Bible says. An ancient way of, of, of doing family or, uh, or society, for that matter. Yeah, I was talking about this in therapy the other day. And this is a little off topic, but I think it's relevant to your comment. You know, when I was growing up, my parents, I think because that's what they were taught, they used a fear tactic sure. to try to get me to listen, right? Of I course. listened because I didn't want to get my ass beat. Right. right. Now, they loved me, right? And I felt loved, sure. but I listened because I got my ass beat. Sure. I don't spank my children. I don't either. My children still listen to me. Mine too. You know what I think the difference is? Um, we're more, uh, we have better logical reasoning. I don't know. I'm just kidding. I don't know. I think my children respect me rather than fear me. Yeah, there you go. It is a different approach. If you try to treat your sexuality the way the ancient world does, Ooh. you're going to have a fear-based sexuality rather than a respectful one, which I think is what the modern world's trying to get at. And I think divinity is okay with. That is what the whole concept of one-on-one equality yeah. and, and, and create procreation is. It is that concept. I'm a pro creator. You know what I'm saying? Hey. <laughs> uh, yeah. Any more thoughts? Do you got anything? Do you not like anything I said? I mean, I think this is a good, I think this is a good follow up to the purity culture episode that we did because 
so much of the purity, so much of purity culture has been so damaging for specifically like the millennial generation in particular, but, um, but others as well, of course. And this is where it comes from. I mean, like this, I almost feel like this episode should have gone before the other one, because this is really like, um, this is where the whole kind of worldview philosophical view like this is where the system starts is well you have people in a fear-based response to something that really began as um well shoot controlling women's bodies is still an economic question and a power dynamic it's all see this is what i'm saying like i think it's still the same things yes just manifesting differently yeah we're just repackaging repackage repackage and and the hope is that we can eventually get to a point where there's no package to put it in well we're good i mean i think i think the advancement of women in the western world actually is doing that and this is why i'm a a progressive right and this is why dude there's a local pastor certainly he's not going to listen but i'm not going to name drop but there's a local pastor who leads a a thriving thriving a growing church right here very close to where we sit no names mentioned his sermon on mother's day was this is and i'm getting somewhere with this i know we're running long but this is this is this is why i'm saying like regressive is is not going to help anything um he his sermon on mother's day was to create a dichotomy of male chauvinism mm. and feminism and how God calls his people to be neither, neither chauvinist <laughs> nor feminist. Do you understand how problematic it is to equate the two because one category of people experiences ultimate power and freedom and privilege while the other category of people shut up and not fight for that power and privilege? Think about the entire past hour of what we've been talking about. Yep. It's always come back to power dynamics. It's always power dynamics. and, And I say this time and time again, heterosex gives men power. Men wrote the Bible. Yeah. They give themselves power. Um, right. These things are not. You you can't just like peel back the layers and not look at the core. Yeah. The core of it is always that men want power. Right. Um, it's intoxicating. It's a drug. It, it is. It, it very much so. Um, and it preys on the weak. It preys on the weak. It preys on the marginalized. Yep. And, you know. Did you ever watch House of Cards? Yes. Do you remember in, I think it's season one or season two, when Kevin Spacey starts sleeping with that reporter that he's using? Yeah. Do you remember their first conversation about sex? No, I don't. But I remember what their last conversation was like. (laughs) He killed her. He pushed her. Spoiler alert. But but screw that. Don't go watch that show because Kevin Spacey is a a predator. But yeah, he Um, pushes her in front of a train. He pushes her in front of a train. And the first conversation they have about sex... The gist of it is he equates sex to power. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm, I, You're jogging my memory now. In the ancient world, there was ancient world propaganda written all over ancient Rome, and it said Julius Sleezer sleeps Sleazer. with women for Jesus. pleasure and men for power. Julius Sleezer. Well done. Uh, it was intentional. Was it? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> pun intended. Pun intended. Uh, yeah, look. This sex stuff, I don't care what Joe Blow down <laughs> at old historic Baptist church pastor told you. Yeah. 
There's a lot of ways to skin this cat, and purity culture ain't the only one to make God happy. And he's probably looking at porn and uh, molesting children anyways. So. Well, statistically, if he's not, at least half his deacon body is, because it's all 60-year-old white men. Yeah. Also, in Houston, recent Houston church news, a uh, a, a very uh, well-known, prominent, uh, respected, and celebrated youth pastor at, again, no names here, at a very uh, well-known and prominent influential church in the Houston area that has lots of family ties to other churches, their youth pastor of 20 plus years uh, just walked into a police station the other day and confessed to numerous, multiple sexual assaults of numerous uh, sexual relationships with his youth. Look, when I was going to HBU, SBC church, by the way, when I was going to HBU, I met a man who was married to a woman that was 19 years old and seven years his younger. You know how they met? He was her <laughs> youth pastor. It happens all the time at that church. So whatever ethic you Christians are holding on to, whether it's ancient, whether it's, I don't know, biblical. You just said it. It is ancient. Because why would, why would a grown white man want a child for a wife? Power dynamics. Because that's what the ancient world told him he wanted. Yeah, poor, uh, vulnerable, weak. And, um, you know, like, for me, I, I'm single now, so it's okay for me to talk to you about, like, how I feel about other women, I guess. But <laughs> for me, like, 26 and under, I'm just like, y'all are children. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. I've dated multiple women in their 40s and 50s. Oh, okay. Like, All right, big dog. I, who, Whoa. what kind of person wants a child? A good. predator. A predator wants a child. Someone who needs to feel good about themselves, I guess. I don't Somebody know. who needs power. Who needs power? Predators. Predators. It's a breeding ground for predators when you put, you know, we've, we've given you a lot, an hour worth of stuff. I mean, I, 20 minutes of it was beer. And <laughs> You're welcome. That's the best part. It, hands down. Um, but like, th we've given you an amalgamation of this entire picture at this point. But I, I think the truth remains across whichever episode you've watched, which is the Bible's concerned with the powerful not harming the vulnerable. Yeah. I um, think Jesus most certainly is. And, and the Bible's concerned about things like fidelity. The Bible's concerned about honoring oaths and vows. You know, uh, Matthew, right? The Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' teaching on adultery immediately follows Jesus' teaching on divorce. Do you know what immediately follows Jesus' teaching on divor divorce? Mm, in case you're going to hell. That little syllogism where he says, let your yeses be yes and your noes be noes. Right. Commitment, fidelity. Yeah. When God is concerned with people being honest, God is yeah. concerned with not bearing false testimony. Right. If you want to count, you know, the 10 commandments in here, God is concerned with people doing what they say they're going to do and backing it up. God is concerned with people honoring their promises. God is concerned with caring for the vulnerable. Yeah. God is concerned with lots of things that white evangelical Christian nationalism doesn't seem to be concerned with. <laughs> uh, and ironically, the things they seem to be concerned with always get uniquely tied to power. Always. 
So do with that what you will. We're just a couple of white dudes who claim to be feminists. Take me home, country, country road, road, to, to the, the place, place I belong. Texas. West Virginia. No, Texas. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Pints and Perspectives podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. Be sure to give us a rating and a review if you enjoyed the episode. It's free and it helps us immensely. Also, feel free to check out our other podcasts.